0: Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be working in the news media industry or perhaps publishing your own book and becoming an author? What does it take to be an amazing writer? I'm so excited to have Sarah Karen, the food blogger extraordinaire from behind Sarah's Cucina Bella here joining me to talk all about what it is and what it takes to be an amazing writer. Stay tuned.
1: You are listening
0: to the Career Path Angel Show, where we talk all about career, business, positive mindset, self development, and many other fun and exciting topics with one goal in mind to help new working professionals to fast track their careers in the corporate world. So, what are we waiting for? Let's dive right in.
1: Here is your host, Angel Mary.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Career Path Angel Show. I'm your host, Angel Mary. Today, I am so excited to have Sarah Karen, who is the writer behind the food blog, Sarah's Casina Bella, here to talk all about her journey as a writer and offering tips to aspiring writers today. Before I jump into that, if you haven't hit that subscribe button, please do so. The podcast is dedicated to talking all about positivity, career and business mindset topics and interviews as well. Moving into who our guest is today, I have known Sarah since I was in high school, and I have seen her tenacity over the years, where she has looked at a goal, and she has gone full focus towards that goal. And in particular, it was her desire to be a writer, which I saw blossom in our high school years together when we were working on school newspaper together, and She has just done an amazing job of getting herself into a position of authority as it relates to all different types of topics from food to parenting. And I'm very excited to talk to her because she is not only an accomplished writer in a newsroom, but she is also an amazing, amazing, amazing freelance writer who has had her work In such publications such as The Today Show, Yahoo Finance, She Knows, iVillage, Hartford Current, Washington Post, Bangor Daily News, Momtastic... Sarah is also the recipient of a number of very prestigious awards. She was named the Local Homeless of the Year in 2015 by the Maine Press Association. She actually was featured in professional blogging for Dummies by Susan Getgood in that book, and she was also named Top 25 Foodie Blogs on Friendseat.com. She even wrote for Pillsbury, Betty Crocker. She is just an incredible person, and I'm so excited and pleased to share this pre-recorded interview from just a few weeks ago. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I am so excited talking to you about your journey as a writer. I feel like, especially since I've known you since high school, I have I remember seeing your passion and drive all the way since back then. And I want you to talk a little bit about what initially inspired you to go down this path and why did you choose to follow and pursue this?
1: In high school and even younger than that when you are a child, when you are a preteen, when you are a teenager, I feel like a lot of people don't know what they want to do with their lives and that's natural. I was weird. I knew I wanted to be a writer from the earliest part of my life that I remember when I was um 3 or 4 I would sit at my mother's typewriter and pretend I was typing stories I would pretend I was interviewing people I would I would do all these things and I didn't know what a journalist was at the time I didn't I just knew I wanted to be a writer I wrote my first I called it a book it was probably seven pages long when I was seven and being a writer was what I always wanted to do when people asked me what I wanted to do it was that And like other kids, I had other things I was interested in. I loved theater. I also wanted to be a dancer and actress. I never saw why I couldn't do all of those things. Um, But writing was the common thread that stayed with me. Um, And in high school, um, you'll remember, I took a journalism class the first year it was offered. And that was the first time that, in terms of writing as a salaried career career, really made sense. This is something I can do. This is something I can get paid for and pursue this passion. So that's what I did. Um, I, By the time we graduated from high school, I was openly pursuing a career in journalism. I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um,
0: I remember that. I remember being in journalism class club with you and we were writing for the paper and mm-hmm. how zeroed in and focused you were in on the journalism aspect for much, many of us, we were just having fun in a club. You took it very seriously. And what did you end up majoring in college? How did you end up going down that path?
1: Um, I, my college went to Barnard College in New York, did not have a journalism um, major. And the English major was very literature based. And I knew that if I was going to go into newspapers, while I would love the writing aspect of that, The literature part wasn't something that was really going to benefit me, although I enjoyed it. So I chose political science, um, knowing that politics are such a big part of journalism and understanding them would be really helpful. And I was able to really tailor my program around the interaction of mass media and politics, which gave me a lot of understanding that I did end up using um, early in my career and even later on in some other positions as well.
0: I love that. I love that you went down a non-traditional path, choosing political science to go in in the direction of media, whereas most people immediately think, okay, communications, journalism, English, and you don't think that there's other avenues you can take. And so, I really love that. And how did you? What was your first job out of out of school that you were really deep in this journalism, where the bug bit you and you're in it, you're deep in it.
1: Well, I'm going to pause for a second and go back to what you just said, because um, that specializing in an area is actually a really smart thing. If you want to go into journalism, there's a lot of things you can learn in as a journalism major, um, such as writing a lead. What is a nut graph? These things that we, we do need to know. But that specialization in another topic, whether it's economics, data science, um, political science, education, anything, gives you a leg up on anybody else in the industry because you have a, a bigger knowledge of what you're covering. Um, you do need the journalism stuff, right. too. Niche it down, I,
0: that's important.
1: Since I never studied journalism, and this was 20 some years ago, um, I had to get convince somebody that to take a chance on me because I didn't have journalism experience beyond high school. Okay, take.
0: Uh-huh. I want to take a pause right now because you just said okay. something that a lot of people don't know how to do, which I think it's astounding you were able to do this coming right out of college. How do you convince someone to give you a chance? How did you do that?
1: That's a great question. And I know you like to think I'm an expert at it because I convince people to do things. I have have a history of convincing people to do what I want. Um, And in this case, I had to find the right person at the right newspaper. It was a newspaper at the time um, who had a level of desperation. I needed to fill a position and was willing to take a chance on somebody who was smart, who did have writing skills, had demonstrated writing skills, but didn't have any experience whatsoever. So um, I had to kind of set my expectations at the right level. I wasn't going to go work for the New York Times because I didn't have the experience. I had to find the the job that would give me the experience. So I found a small paper in Northwestern Connecticut that was hiring for. The lowest lung on the reporting ladder. Which, what was which was the, what was that? It was a weekend and police reporter. Um, so I, my beat was kind of very much up in the air. I the biggest thing I did was talk to the police every single day that I worked, um, and then on weekends I covered things like um, fairs and festivals and things like that. There were low level um, reporting assignments. This was not like what's going on with your taxes. This was here's what happened today. So right. it was a great way to get myself um introduced to how the writing style works how do you do interviews I had not really done any interviews I I had done a couple in high school but I was an editor in high school um so I really had to learn on the job and I got your feet wet
0: real quick right on that in the ground running with that
1: yes and I had that's I had to learn on the job I had to rely on my coworkers to help me they they understood um and it was really helpful but I had to learn very very quickly
0: Yes, I, um, I love. Is- I, I love the one thing that you said was you had to rely on your coworkers, and I think sometimes when you go into a job, you don't really think about how important those connections are. And given that you were, and I remember this, you would call me and you tell me, "Oh yeah, I know the sheriff," and you knew so many people, so <laughs> many people. So mm-hmm. talk talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, it is everywhere. It is who you know, and that's true in journalism. That's true in careers. It's who you know and how you work those connections. So I didn't have a ton of experience, but I was great at talking to people. And in terms of being a police reporter, I used what I had. My uncle Hugo, all of his best friends worked in the sheriff's department. They worked for the local police. So when I met cops, the first thing they would know about me. They would figure out about me. It was that I spoke their language because these are people I grew up with. These are people who spoke in a certain way and use certain terms that I understood. And we would very early in the conversation, I would establish, Oh yeah. You know, so-and-so my uncle's best friend or, or, you know, Danny Mazacone or whatever. Um, and it would put them at ease because they would know that I wasn't just somebody reporting on them. I was also somebody who kind of understood what they did because it, I had this in my background of of these people who had hung out my house, who I had spoken to, who I had interacted with. Right. You're
0: you were an ally. You're not an outside comer coming in, and that was the important message right. that you that shared was, with them to build yeah. that
1: trust. Right. Yes. And in trust building is really, really important. Um, And when you have that kind of trust as a reporter, you have to ask hard questions. You have to, you are, you can't entirely be an ally. You can build trust through being an ally, but you are there to report the facts, whether it is good or bad for them. But when you have that trust, they understand you are just doing your job.
0: Yes. And you've always been really, really good about being able to separate personal from business and especially being in the communications field where you had to be reporting on different things. You would have to literally shelve that personal relationship in that moment to be able to ask those tough questions. Did you have ever any um, situations where that came into question or it was hard for you to do that? I feel like it it was always easy for you, but you can tell Um. me.
1: In a way, it's. I find it easier to ask the hard questions of the people that I know better. That's so interesting. So if I um, have a pretty friendly, we're well not friends, but friendly relationship with the people I'm reporting on, it is a whole lot easier to say, "I ha- you know, I have to ask you this now and spit out the question. And I was always more likely to get an answer out of them mm. um, because there was that trust there. Is it easy? It's never easy. But the hardest times are when I don't know somebody, when I have to, when the first, our first interaction is kind of, you know, negative. I'm calling you to the carpet on something. Mm. Something is breaking and you need to answer for this.
0: Right. But that's your job to figure out what the truth is and having to have that balance between, okay, I have to do my job and then you know, in any position you are in, whether you're in the position you're in, or I've I've had this in my role, too, where who I am as a person sometimes doesn't jive with what I have to do with my job. It's a little different. And then you have to reconcile that. Okay, I'm doing this. I'm in this role. Okay, I'm in a leadership role. I may have to fire someone. I don't, I remember being in a place when I was younger, and that was hard for me to do, thinking, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not I'm not going to be that type of person that have to fire someone. But Yes, that had to happen one day in the future, and that's because I was doing my job at to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. and that doesn't always reconcile who you think you are, and sometimes that's a difficult thing. And I think that also translates in, into writing because I think what you put on paper, there's a lot of ethical components and what you feel about certain situations, and you can talk a little bit more about what what your
1: experience on that is. Um. Yeah. Um ethics are really important and staying true to your ethics code and in journalism that is presenting both sides, even when it is hard to wrap your head around the other side. And that happens. And as an adult, as somebody who has been in this business for 20 some odd years, um, not to say I was an adult when I started, but I was pretty young. But after this many decades in the business, there are times when that other side is the hardest thing you have to do. Mm. Um. Because while we remain neutral as writers, we are not, we are still human. Right. And we still have um, our own thoughts and, and things surrounding, and some things are very, very difficult. Murder is very, very difficult. Right. And presenting both sides is acknowledging that somebody is innocent until proven guilty. So if somebody is an accused murderer we still have to make an effort to give them their say.
0: Right, right. And it's and it's also to protect yourself so that you're not falsely reporting something based on
1: what you may think,
0: right? Because there's a code of ethics you're following every every organization has that and um and also your own personal code of ethics which I don't know if your own personal code of ethics is in line with where you've worked or do you have something a little bit more that you follow that other writers may not follow?
1: I'm not sure. Um, But let me tell you about a particularly difficult um, situation and where I did something that uh, was somewhat controversial. Um, We had here in Maine, a deputy um, sheriff was killed, um, was shot. Uh, There was a manhunt for the person who did it. And when that person was found, it it was a weekend, I think it was a Saturday, I was the editor on call Um, the police had, um, we got, we got the information and the police had given us a photo. The photo was out of context. The photo showed this person being held up by their hair. Okay. And I, um, felt like my judgment call in the moment. I told the desk not to use the photo. We would not use the photo unless we had context to go with the photo as to what was happening in that. What were we seeing and why was he being held that way? Because even though he was accused of of murder and believed to be the one who did he was ultimately convicted he still rights. he's still there was there was more to that and that photo without the context without being able to ask what happened during this arrest was he resisting arrest all of these other things that would have put that photo into context right or was this just a cop Holding him by the hair to get that photo of him to confirm ID. You know, there was so much more to it. So I chose that
0: photo. And and Uh, I think it's important to have someone discerning, like what you're saying, having that level of scrutiny mm -hmm. in recognizing whether or not there's more angles and that there's running a risk that you might present something and it might be seen only in one direction. And it'll slant or skew the public perception unfairly. And I think that's that's a definitely a, a tough call. You have to make a tough call in the moment, especially mm-hmm. when the news is coming quickly. So I think that's uh, commendable that you were in a role like that and you were able to call it the way you felt like it, and with your own personal conviction. So I applaud you on and, that.
1: And the key to it, was that I needed to know why I was saying no. Why were we not going to use this? And we ended up being, we were not the only media who didn't use that, but we were one of the few who didn't. Um, and I had to be able to explain, this is why we didn't, we had it, we chose not to. Right, exactly. I think that's
0: brilliant. And I want to switch gears real quick because I, I don't want to bypass your amazing blog, Sarah's Casino Bella. Tell me about okay. You're you're a beat reporter. When did this beautiful idea birth? How did this come about?
1: It's funny you use the word birth. Um, I was a police reporter, and um I, I was covering towns at the time, I was um, I just given birth to my oldest, Will, who is now seventeen. Um, and as I approached the end of my maternity leave, I realized that the reporting I had done up to that point wasn't something I could do in that moment. I was in a different stage of life. I was in a different head space, and I could not apply the same level of level-headed scrutiny to my work. I was too emotional, um, which Anybody who has given birth understands. understand. Of course. That, that hormones <laughs> Thousands of hormones very, very, going all over your body. We know. <laughs> very, very emotional. Um, so I made a very difficult decision to um, resign and to pursue other things. And I went to a food conference, a food writing. Actually I actually went to a writing conference and went to a food writing panel where somebody said, well, if you want to be a food writer, start a blog. It's the wave of the future. That was Melissa Clark from the New York Times, by the way. And I went home and I did. Um, I didn't this even know if I. 2003, to be- 2003? 2005. 2005. Okay, 2005. I didn't know if I wanted to be a food writer for sure. It was kind of like, I could write about food. <laughs> <laughs> food doesn't make me emotional. Food is something we all need. You also um, love cooking. So
0: <laughs> that helps. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. um, I really learned to love cooking through the blog. I didn't love to cook at the time, um, I loved food. I just loved food and I just wanted to write about food. So in order to build clips, in order to break into this new area, I started the blog so that I would have something to show and have a way of kind of figuring out what is my voice in the food realm and what what does this look like? Is this something I can do? Blogging at the time was not a money-making endeavor. In fact, if you had ads on your blog, you were selling out. It, there were very few ads at all. AdSense was the only thing. It was, it was a, the wild, wild west. People blogged because they liked to write. So it was really about building a new avenue of my career. At the same time, I also went back to the paper as a freelancer covering um, a lot of the things I had, but not covering um, law enforcement anymore or courts, um, which was kind of the barrier. That was the thing I couldn't do right then.
0: Right, right. And so you've been growing Sarah's Casino Bella at the same time as you've built out your career in food writing, which has led you down the path into becoming a published author. So, share a little bit about that, how that came about.
1: Sure. So, Sarah's Cucina Bella, born in 2005, it was November, I think it was November 9th, um, with the idea that I would do it for maybe a year and see what happened and see if I could break into food writing. I never anticipated that it would be anything more than a stepping stone to something else. Um, a year went by, two years went by. And I started making money on it. I was approached by General Mills to write for them and to wow. for them. Um, and and that's kind of the snowballing of it. Um, I was approached by other um, publications to write for them as well um, about food. And the food writing career grew out of that. And because of the notoriety that I got from writing for top names, um, I was then approached in 2014. Um, by DK Publishing to co-write a cookbook. And that was my first cookbook. So that was great. Um, in my writing career, though, I had also- For the big- listeners, Which what's the name of the cookbook? That one was Grains as Mains. Okay. I've written um, six since, actually seven, but the seventh one isn't out
0: yet. Awesome.
1: That's amazing. Um, yes. Um, but going back to two thousand when I was trying to make inroads into freelance writing it is really hard to make inroads into freelance writing it was hard in 2005 it is hard in 2023 um and what I didn't know when I quit my job was how hard it was how much of an uphill battle it would be so which is what led me back to writing for the newspaper I had worked for as a freelancer um I wasn't able to build a better freelance career than that. It was, that was all I did. It was a very tough year of writing on this blog and um, writing for the paper and not making enough money. Um, So after a year, I went back full-time into an editorial job um, because I needed to, I needed my career to, to be a career. I love what I do. I love being a writer. I love working. I love contributing to the world in this way. Um so, but I decided I still wanted to write for other other outlets and um took a class, did some networking, ended up getting a job writing for a site called She Knows, which was has been off and on the number one women's site in the US. Um, I'm not sure if it is right now. It's been a little while since I followed those things. Um, and that gave me a chance to write in another avenue, parenting, which I had never done before. Um, And that launched a whole other side of my writing, which was freelancing about everything from parenting to technology to sex, which I discovered I don't like writing about sex.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, there's always some topics that we're not going to feel totally comfortable talking about, but I do, I have read some of your parenting articles and you are spot on. You have a tendency to write in a voice that every woman or every man can read and identify with. So it doesn't really matter where, what background you are, you can read it and feel the story and the energy right through. And I love your writing. I, I Of course, I loved it when you wrote about food. But unless I'm eating the food, it's a little <laughs> let down sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but your parenting writing skills are top notch. Um, and definitely, you know, your cookbooks. Now, the grains and mains, I, I just want to share this little bit. Because I have known Sarah since I was 15 years old. So for me to walk through Barnes and Nobles and see right in like a random section, her book faced out with the entire front cover showing, I was so I was like, oh, my gosh, I know her. That was one of it was like a celebrity moment for me. And I wanted <laughs> to share that with you because that's exciting and it even if you, you know, we all put so much effort in, even if we don't feel like it's a big deal, it is a big deal. (laughs) For me, it's a big deal seeing you out there. So that's super cool. And I want to share that little story with you.
1: So all along, all of this has been a building of things. Um, I like writing about food a lot. I also like writing journalistic pieces. I love writing about courts and cops and towns and uh, disagreements in towns. I love that journalism side of things. I like writing about parenting. And one of the things about writing is I never felt like I had to limit myself. I didn't have to just be a journalist. I didn't have to just write about parenting. I didn't have to just write about food. So I haven't. Um,
0: yes, I like that you're <laughs> able to branch out. I think one of the things that has happened throughout your career is you've touched on so many different areas. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I know that for you, you're a very thorough person. You do a lot of research. You're not a winging it kind of individual. So it does take a lot of effort and energy to write a lot of research time is put into that. And your work quality is as much effort you, as you put into. Now I have a question for you on when someone's trying to break into any of these fields, Mm-hmm. You're going to have those moments where it's tough because you, you you said it right just a few moments ago how hard it was freelancing. Tell me a little bit you know about what that what was it about it that made you feel like okay I needed a, uh, another another revenue stream right? So you were adding working in full time as that where, where where was that struggle that you felt like could help someone else if they're trying to break through in that same area.
1: When I left my job after my son was born, I did it backwards. I left without a real plan. I had this high in the sky idea of, oh, I'll just leave on freelance. You know, it's going to be easy. Well, it turns out it's not easy. You have to build contacts. You really need to already have your foot in the door. Um, So the first thing I would say is you have to be doing it before you leave the job. You have to already have contracts and contacts and people you uh, can reach out to and say, hey, did you need something? Who will hire you for things? Um, Which I ended up leaving my full-time job after my a year after my daughter was born um, because my freelance writing career was making me substantially more money than my full-time job. And by then I had I had a contract for regular work from a company where I wrote about HR. I wrote about tech. I wrote about voice over Internet Protocol. All these different things. I think I wrote about marketing as well. Um, so I had this base of what I was going to earn. I was still writing for she Knows. I was under contract with them for a certain amount of pieces a month. Um, I had enough. Th- Um, avenues that I was pulling in from, there was a couple others as well, that I knew mm, I was going to be okay. And I had enough context that I could pitch other places, other people, other companies, and get more work. You have to have that before you leave the job. You can't back your way into it. It is a panic when you do not have work and you are trying to find it. Um, That's a really
0: good, very good tip. Make sure that you're already... Have like starting that process versus mm-hmm. stopping cold and then feeling like you're because the financial burden will be so much more greater if you don't have something right. already coming in.
1: Right. Um, have a parachute, have a backup plan. There was a point a year or two later, maybe even two years later, where one of those contracts ended. Um, it had been a well negotiated contract though. Um, and the company had just changed. They had changed directions. They had changed their sites. What I had done was not something they needed anymore. And what they needed was something that um, was more, way more technical, that was needed to be somebody who um, could write in a way um, that was jargony. And that's not my expertise. I write to the general public, um, which is what they had wanted prior to that. So when they let me know that they were ending the contract, I was able to turn around and say, okay, I understand You have to pay me for a month because that's what we agreed to. Right. And that was a great parachute to have. It is hard to get those into freelance contracts. I think it's even harder now than it was then. That was 15-ish years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Um, But I think
0: what you're saying here is really important across the board, no matter what industry you're in, if you're freelancing in any way. Mm -hmm. That contract negotiation piece, that is so critical to ensuring that you have a buffer in place or you're not just taking whatever they give you initially you should be really negotiating up because they probably expect that anyway they don't Mm -hmm. want you would be selling yourself short if you just take the first contract that they come at you with right
1: i the thing i tell everyone if you don't ask the answer is no it's true in journalism when you're interviewing people it's true in contract negotiations you have to ask and you have to know what you want Um, when I, um, I now am a full-time senior editor for a news organization in Maine, when I was negotiating this contract, I knew exactly what I want. I knew what I wanted for salary. I knew how much vacation I wanted. Um, I knew what I wanted for moving assistance because I moved from a couple states away and it made negotiating very, very easy. Um, you have to know what you want and you have to not be afraid to say thank you. Um, I'm really excited about this opportunity, but we need to talk about a few things first,
0: yes. And one more thing I would add, you have to also know your own value, what mm-hmm. you bring to the table. So if you're not um taking the extra time to adequately allocate the correct amount of experience that you have and, you know, showcase that in the right way, no one's going to advocate for you except for you, right? So that's right. the most important piece, ensuring that, you communicate that in a way that they'll okay sarah you're an amazing writer and you're like wait a second i also wrote for general mills so maybe you want to come back with a better offer right so that's what you're you're talking about making sure that you take those experiences it's not it's not a small thing all everything adds up in the end
1: and i think the first time you negotiate a contract it's hard it's hard to break that barrier of Advocating for yourself, advocating for what you are worth, advocating for what you want. I remember when I went to go um, that full-time job I took after um, freelancing the first time, I didn't negotiate. I was too scared. I It had been a very rough year of not making enough money of a company. When you're freelance, you're kind of at the will of when they pay you. And at the time, the company was not great at paying on a regular basis. <laughs> um, I was desperate and I needed to take the job. So I was afraid to negotiate It's a regret because that negotiation, that before you start, is when you're going to get the maximum amount of your pay, you're going to get the maximum amount of things that you want. You will not have another chance to renegotiate your vacation time, for instance. Right. You may not ever be able to renegotiate your salary substantially um, in my in my industry often what we come in at is what we stay at for a very 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 long time unless we somehow get a promotion and often there aren't that many promotions available
0: right so you and, have and even the it. promotions you're not it's like from wherever you started from it would just be like a tiny little bit increment up so if you had properly negotiated at the very start and maybe came an even 5000 more than you were then that promotion would be that much more than if you had never negotiated in the first place
1: which is what I did with the company I am at now. I negotiated to the top of the um, top of the pay scale.
0: Yes, and that's that's the the takeaway message that you know anyone listening in, when they're whether they're freelancing or whether they're doing a a, a paid position, full time gig somewhere, you need to make sure that you don't pass up that initial opportunity because I think we all have that feeling when we've spent all this time interviewing, we're so excited when they call us back, and then you're almost in a rush to say yes, because you're so excited about it. But then you, we don't take that pause and that moment to realize that, wait a second, I have a lot more to offer. And I, I know that I should be making more of the money than XYZ individuals who have less experience or not as many credentialing, depending on you know what the industry is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For sure. So Sarah, tell me what you have coming up. I I know that you just recently, and I want to congratulate you right now on graduating with your master's. Tell me about what you studied and where this might take you next.
1: Well, I decided early in the pandemic to pursue my master's in English with a concentration in creative writing um, because I want to break into fiction and it has been a dream. It has been a dream since childhood to do this kind of writing. It is really hard to break in. It may be harder to break in than freelancing was. Um, but that's what I'm working toward. I have a novel written. As you know, it's actually not my first novel. You read the first one as well. Um, neither are published. But I'm pitching the second one now. And i hoping to get an agent to represent it and have it published. Um, what I'm learning about this industry is that timing is everything. It's the summer now. So I am uh, working on preparing my pitch letter. I am working on finalizing some marketing copy. I am working on all the things I'm going to need to send to potential agents um, and doing probably one final revision on the novel, which I hadn't intended to do, but I'm now that I have a little more time to sit with it, I'm like, well, maybe I'll make these couple of things. So when Labor day passes, I will be sending that out and hoping that I find representation. That's I so am-
0: exciting. you went you've moved in so many different areas of writing. So even though you've been consistent in the writing field, you're doing kind of career changes within the field in terms of the type of writing you're doing. So, it's really amazing to see all of the different facets and different avenues you can go down, and I'm really excited about this new path that you are forging ahead in. And so far, your everything you touch turns to gold in my opinion, and I'm very very happy and excited that you're sharing this with us. Thank you so much for sharing all of your um, really important nuggets of wisdom in terms of everything you need as you pursue writing as a career, mm-hmm. whether it's journalism, freelance, uh, blogging, any creative writing. I mean, you've, you've actually touched on almost everything that people want to do, which is pretty amazing. And you're, you've just, you're just starting this path. So thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing. Is there any other last uh, words that you'd like to share?
1: don't limit yourself. I mean, if you want to be a writer, you can be a writer in many different ways. I also teach writing um, at universities. So that's been a really exciting thing that I didn't even know I wanted to do. So there's many ways that you can make this career work. There's a lot of hustle though. So leave in yourself and get yourself out there and find somebody to publish you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your amazing journey and story with us. And if you want to check out any of Sarah's books, you can go to SarahKaren.com or check out her food blog, which is Sarah'sCasinaBella.com. Thank you so much again for listening. If you haven't hit that subscribe button, please do so now. Until next time, tell yourself you can do anything you put your mind to thank you for tuning into the career path angel show with angel mary something you want to hear angel talk about on the show contact angel through instagram or tiktok to let her know hit subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode and be sure to share it with your friends till next time stay confident stay positive and never give up